Well, hello. I'm Eliza Jones, and for as long as I can remember, people have said that my wildly detailed dreams should be turned into short stories. After writing them down, I like to interpret my dreams, and some of the results are weirdly accurate, while others are outrageous or funny. With tongue-in-cheek, I'll share these dreams and interpretations with you, along with superstitions, astrology, and other paranormal things. Welcome to Wouldn't Dream of It. This week's dream needs some introduction, partly because I want you, my dear listeners, to understand the person about whom I'll be speaking, and also because I may get emotional while reading the dream to you. During editing, I'm going to try to leave in as much of my emotional response as possible to honor the man who was the central figure of my dream, my maternal grandfather. Short of stature, Granddad had a deep bass voice that could only be described as huge. That voice carried so much authority that his size didn't matter. His presence, especially when he spoke, could fill a room. With fair hair and a severe face with piercing green eyes, he sometimes looked angry and bitter, but when he had cause to smile, he looked quite dashing. When I was very young, I found Grandad terribly imposing, and then I didn't see him for almost a decade because of a nasty divorce between my parents. When I got to know him a little more as an adult, I realized that under that type A personality, stony face, and commanding voice was a man whose heart swelled with pride over his children and grandchildren. A salesman by trade, Grandad had the gift of gab. He never met a stranger, and I don't think he ever became nervous in any situation. When one of my college professors asked if any of us had a grandparent who would like to speak during the golden years portion of our lifespan human development class, I immediately thought of Grandad. When he appeared as a guest speaker in my class a few weeks later, Grandad told stories about his life that I had never heard. His humongous voice and rich storytelling had the class and me mesmerized. When the class was over, no one left their seat. He offered to continue speaking, but the classroom was scheduled for another class, bringing the best guest speaking engagement I had ever attended to an end. I hugged him so hard that day. I'd never realized before how much I loved him. (laughs) Regrettably, I never took the time to make up for the decade of separation. It was partly because he and my grandmother had stopped loving each other in approximately the year that I was born, and when I visited their house, I had to visit him in one room and my passive-aggressive grandmother in another. It was also because not knowing either of them well made me feel like an uninvited or at least unexpected guest when I visited. Granddad developed Parkinson's disease, and it became very difficult for him to care for himself. My grandmother had to help him with everything, and I can just imagine how that went, since there was no love lost between them. Granddad was ready for his life to be over, but he kept waking up each day, disappointed and relatively helpless. One of those mornings, though, a fall and a very hard bump to the head finally took away Granddad's misery. Granddad has been gone for years. But as I write this, and I'm sure as I read it, my grief is dreadfully fresh. The dream that I'm about to share was confusing and then horrible for me, but hopefully it will be interesting for you, my dear listeners. I call this dream 
grief from the trauma room. I had joined my family at a place that was familiar in as much as it was a conglomeration of all my former grandparents' houses. Some of the least savory of my family members were in attendance, making their presence very obvious, as most abrasive people do in a crowd. Everyone was acting like this was some sort of special occasion. There was a potluck-type meal with all the typical southern cooking dishes that one expects at such an event. Deviled eggs, potato salad, macaroni salad, country ham biscuits. I guess you'd call it comfort food. I kept trying to find out what the purpose of the gathering was, but no one could or would tell me. All of my grandparents were there, despite the fact that all of them are deceased, and all seemed happy except Granddad, who was uncharacteristically nervous. In my entire life, I had never seen Granddad nervous, so this mood of his filled me with dread. This next part of the dream seemed stupid to me. It even seemed stupid as I was dreaming it. Taylor Swift was at the gathering, and she was dressed in some kind of guru garb. She was wearing loose flowing gowns and one of those headbands with the danglies on it like you see on a fortune teller in the movies. She was mingling as if she were the hostess of the party, so I approached her and asked her if she knew the purpose of the gathering. She said, it's an end-of-life party, and then sort of fluttered away from me as if she had actually explained something to me. I realized that somewhere at this party, there must be someone who was terminally ill and expected to die today. It wasn't something I had heard of before, but I thought it was probably better than a funeral, since the soon-to-be-deceased would get to enjoy the party. I started working my way around the venue, which had outdoor and indoor areas. I was expecting to see someone on a hospital bed, or at least in a bed, or laid out on a comfy couch, but there was no one. Feeling perplexed, I spied Grandad sitting alone nearby, among a whole lot of people who were standing, so I sat down next to him. The people surrounding us who were talking to one another created sort of a little sound bubble in which we could speak to each other quietly. I expressed to him that I didn't know why the group was gathered like this, and I told him about Taylor's cryptic comment about an end-of-life party. Granddad put his hand on my hand, which I never recalled him doing before, and said, Eliza, I have to make an important decision this evening. Filled with sudden dread, I met his piercing eyes and choked out decision. Hoping that I was dreaming but unable to wake myself, I listened as Granddad told me that Taylor would be assisting him if he decided to go through with his end-of-life plan. My mouth agape, I just stared at Granddad. Wait, what? I shook my head as if to clear my hearing. He couldn't have said what I heard. Giving me a moment to finish my silent freakout, he smiled his most brilliant smile and said, You know I can't go on this way. Suddenly standing in front of him, I exclaimed, I haven't learned everything I need from you. No, I won't allow it. Where is that crazy bitch? Granddad hugged me and said, it's not her fault. She's just here to do a job if I require it. His hug drained my anger and that set off this naughty sobbing. I couldn't talk anymore. He just held me for a few minutes, guided me back to my seat and handed me some tissues. Be strong, Eliza. Be strong, he said as he left me to my grief. 
and no doubt to seek privacy for some of his own. I lost track of everything around me as I thought of the empty place that Granddad would leave in my life. Selfish as it may seem, I didn't want to let him go. Besides, he was teaching me something that had to do with building a tiny computer, and we weren't finished with it. My days was broken by someone tapping me on my cheek and saying, this is what he wants to leave to you. The person shoved into my hands the tiny computer that we'd been building. It was silver and black and mostly rectangular with the exception of an opening on the bottom that was about the size of a graham cracker. I had no idea what it did. Still grief-stricken and contemplative, I began looking around and noticed that people were moving through the crowd giving other people personal items that belonged to Granddad. Almost forgetting to breathe, I then noticed that about a hundred yards away, something was happening. Taylor was raising her arms, and in one of her hands, she gripped a bejeweled short sword. Despite all of the reasons that I never run these days, I began sprinting toward where Taylor appeared to be holding court. As I drew closer, I could see that Granddad was lying on some kind of ceremonial marble table in front of Taylor, his head propped on a slightly higher block of marble. Before I could get close enough to stop her, Taylor brought down the short sword and slit Granddad's throat. Leaning close to his face, she took Granddad's head into her hands and spoke words to him that sounded like cooing as his precious blood ran into channels on the marble so that they framed his body but didn't puddle under him. Too horrified to cry, scream, or even think I must have lost consciousness. I woke up from this dream confused about where I was and afraid that it wasn't a dream. Do any of you listeners ever wake up from a dream like that? I'd love to hear about your experiences. Grab my email address at the end and let me know if you've had that. Um, weird feeling of did I just wake up or did I just fall asleep? <laughs> this dream was exceedingly difficult to interpret, as I'm sure you could guess. Um, a dream of anxiety is supposed to be a good omen of desirable times. This is important to me because Granddad was anxious throughout the dream and my anxiety was high as well. A dream of a relative's anxiety predicts receipt of a small inheritance. I'll pass. I'm not ready for anyone who's alive now to pass on and leave me an inheritance. One resource tells me that speaking to a grandparent in a dream means that some decision I've made is a smart one, and I should keep going with it. Another resource conflicts that one by saying that speaking with my grandparent in a dream means that I'll have problems that are difficult to solve. Maybe I've already had the problem that was difficult to solve and the decision that I've made will resolve it. I don't know. I found that very confusing. Dreaming of my own family advises me to be cautious in my endeavors, but to avoid being morose. Well, this may be difficult, though, since a dream of sickness or contention in my family predicts depression and frustration, which sounds like the perfect storm in which to become morose. I'll have to work harder at looking on the bright side. Dreaming of a celebrity may indicate a social scandal in the works. 
I found this pretty funny because I lead a very boring life, and I doubt that a scandal involving me would be all that interesting to people. It would read something like, Eating a particular brand of butter makes podcaster Eliza Jones feel special. Could she have an eating disorder? Yeah, an overeating disorder. <laughs> By the way, that's true. Um, and I can't really mention the brand because I'm not sponsored by any butter brands. But I will say that the butter comes from happy cows. <laughs> A dream of eating food foretells good health. Dreaming of a potluck meal predicts good circumstances and physical health. That's a double whammy of good health being predicted, so I really hope to see that happen. Asking questions in dreams indicates that I will do my utmost to tell and find out the truth, and by those actions, I will find success. Asking questions of relatives in a dream is a suggestion that I need to get over petty mistrust and question my motivation for having it. I'll be thinking this one over. I have an inkling about the part of my life that this could be alluding to, but I'm not sure that I would describe the problem as mistrust. Maybe I'll bring more to that topic later. Sorry for all the hesitation. That paragraph makes me think really hard, and I have trouble um, just reading it continuously. <laughs> A dream of flowing blood symbolizes rejuvenation after the fall. Does that mean some sort of mishap for me followed by rejuvenation? I do have a tendency to fall down a lot. Who are my uh, ghost hole trippers and faller downers out there? Um, jump on the Facebook group or send me an email and just you know let me know who else out there falls down for no reason. It hurts a lot more when you're an adult. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, this dream was exceedingly difficult to interpret. I think that my main takeaway is that I am very slow to grieve. I remember being at the bedside of someone I cared for as they died many, many years ago. About two or three years later, I started seeing a counselor who eventually helped me realize that I had never grieved that loss. My thought had been that, I don't know, maybe I was less sensitive than other people. The stages of grief hadn't started, so well, I don't know, maybe I didn't need to grieve. I mean, I did grow up around grandparents on my father's side who ran a home for adults, and the seniors that they cared for, you know, the, some of them died. So I probably had more experience with, with death by the age of 12 than most people do at 40 or so. Um. But apparently, even if you've had a lot of experience with death, you still need to face your grief. Later, when I realized I had a trauma room in my brain, it all started to make sense. I had crammed grief in there rather than dealing with it. I wouldn't be surprised if this dream was just a case of delayed grief for my granddad. I have been peeking into the trauma room a lot lately with you, my dear listeners. Maybe this grief jumped on me when my back was turned. <laughs> Emotional dreams like this one make it very difficult for me to transition to anything, much less lucky numbers. But the lucky numbers are related to the dream symbolism, so I feel like they belong in this space. And I've considered moving them to the end of, of the episode, but I also think there needs to be a little pick-me-up between the emotional dreams and the superstitions. I hope this transition isn't too jarring for you, and I would definitely love your feedback if you have any.
So, this week's lucky numbers are brought to you by dreams of grandparents. They are 3, 4, 22, 45, 47, and 48. Again, those lucky numbers are 3, 4, 22, 45, 47, 48. When I was young and we go to events in the autumn, often there would be bobbing for apples, also known by some people as ducking for apples. I've always dealt with a certain level of social anxiety, and sticking my head in a tub of water in front of people was not happening. Add to that the fact that I've been pretty easily grossed out by things that seem germy forever and ever, so why would I want to attempt to bite apples that others had surely touched with their mouths? The whole ordeal made me feel positively ill, and no amount of peer pressure or adults assuring me it was fun could get my face into that water. Now I've learned that bobbing for apples was originally used for fortune-telling. For those participating, the size of the apple that they caught indicated their future level of success or wealth. Those who couldn't grab even the smaller apples were destined for poverty, and apparently your future wealth was related to how large your apple was. I will add this to my list of why I'll never bob for apples. I worry enough on my own. I don't need a tiny apple to give me something else to worry about. (laughs) Speaking of items from the kitchen used to tell one's fortune, some people believe that bay leaves can confirm or prove wrong any doubt that one has in one's romantic relationship. Simply mark a leaf with the partner's initials and wear it in your shoe for a full day. My resource didn't say whether this should be a pencil, a pen, a toothpick, you know, like just make an impression in the leaf. So if you want to try it, I would recommend trying various media for putting the initials on the leaf and then going with the majority instead of just going with one. Because, you know, writing with a Sharpie and writing with a toothpick are going to give you very different results. Anyway, at the end of the day, if the initials are easier to read, then you have no reason to doubt. And apparently, if the initials are obliterated or harder to read, you should go on worrying. Either way, you'll have a shoe that smells of bay leaf, which isn't a total loss. While researching the bay leaf superstition, I learned that bay leaves come from a laurel tree. I didn't know that. Josh Forrester writes in the Tree Care blog that there are many types of laurel trees, some of which are very poisonous, including the mountain laurel and the cherry laurel. The bay leaf itself can cause nasty gastrointestinal symptoms if taken in large quantities, which explains why we take it out of the sauce before we eat the sauce. I don't recommend going out to your local national park to harvest bay leaves without an experienced forager, because that just sounds very risky to me. Whether you're foraging, hiking, camping, or building a homestead, if you happen to come across a true bay laurel, I also don't recommend believing in the superstition that the bay laurel is immune to lightning strikes. Never, ever, ever shelter under a tree during a thunderstorm. 
When interviewed by the Washington Post after the huge lightning strike near the White House, John Hensenius, a specialist at the National Lightning Safety Council, said, quote, When lightning strikes a tree, the charge doesn't penetrate deep into the ground, but rather spreads out along the ground surface. That makes the entire area around the tree dangerous, and anyone standing under or near a tree is vulnerable. End quote. In Upworthy News, I found proof of something that I learned ages ago in a psychology class but hadn't thought of since then. Twins who are separated at birth have the potential to live extremely similar lives. In fact, some separated twins live almost as similarly as their non-separated counterparts. In the case of Jim Lewis and Jim Springer, who were born identical twins and adopted to separate families after birth, both were named James and nicknamed Jim by their adoptive parents. All right, I can hear you thinking, that has nothing to do with the twins themselves. But the similarities go on and on. Let's talk about some of the weirder coincidences. Both of the Jims married and divorced women named Linda, and then remarried women named Betty. Each of them had a son, and they named their sons James Allen, A-L-A-N, and James Allen, A-L-L-E-N. <laughs> That's a big one. Wives, ex-wives, and kids aside, the twins shared the same vocational and educational strengths and weaknesses, and each named their beloved pet dog, Toy. They also share similar habits of smoking, drinking, and nail-biting, and the specific type of tension headache that developed at 18 years old in each of them is too much to chalk up to a coincidence. And before you think, well, maybe they talked about their headaches and decided they were the same, let me tell you that the men didn't meet until they were 39, and the headaches had been diagnosed 21 years earlier. There were, of course, some differences between the men, but you would see some differences in adult twins as well, if they had grown up together. They saw their hair differently, and one is more outgoing, while the other is more of an introvert. One of them divorced their Betty and remarried Sandy. Those are minor things, though, compared to the parallels between their lives. Luckily, now, most adoption agencies will not separate identical twins, which places the gems into a unique sociological group that has been studied for about a century. If the story of the gems fascinated you, I highly suggest that you Google adoption studies. There are many, many scholarly articles available on the topic of twins separated at birth, and the results are riveting. Creating this show for you is a dream come true for me, so your support means more than you know. Please tell everyone about Wouldn't Dream of It so that we can keep growing. Wouldn't Dream of It is written, edited, and produced by me, Eliza Jones. Marketing assistance is provided by Lapis Hale and Leah Way. Original song, Dreams and Nightmares by Twisted. That's Twisted with a Y. Find them on Facebook as Twisted Twisted both with a Y instead of an I. Connect with us on social media at Wouldn't Dream of It. That's wooden without the apostrophe. 
be sure to check my show notes for a complete list of references used to create this podcast. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.